You have one unheard message. Hi, I was calling Current, the influencer marketing platform, but I think I just got redirected to a bunch of people listening to a podcast. Well, anyways, I was calling Current because I was told they could help get my brand set up on TikTok Shop and even build out an affiliate program of content creators promoting my brand and even have those content creators go on live streams and promote my product there. Wow, I could really use Current. I also heard that the brands they work with are making millions in sales. I guess I'll just go to their website at current.tech. What's the easiest choice you can make? Window instead of middle seat? Picking a vendor who sends a great gift basket? Outsourcing business tasks you hate? What about selling with Shopify? Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage? Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash try. Go to shopify.com slash try now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash try. This episode of Bushers Breakaway is brought to you by you, the listener. Thank you so much. Actually, a fun show. Uh, Greg and I do some nonsense at the beginning, talk about all the latest Ranger and hockey news, which is, you know, there's a lot of it, of course, as you know, because you're listening to this show. And then we have Ryan Clark. He is the first beat writer for the Kraken. I think that's correct. Let's just say it's correct. Ryan Clark is the first beat writer for the Kraken. He comes on, talks to us all about the expansion draft, everything else with the Kraken, etc. Super fun interview. Love Ryan. He's great. Uh, with that all being said, let's get to Mark Messier and the show. Here we go. Hi, everybody. It's Mark Messier. And you're listening to Blue Shirts Breakaway, the number one Rangers podcast. Hey, Blue Shirts Breakaway fans. Welcome to the week... Welcome to another week of the Blue Shirts Breakaway. I am your host, Ryan Mead of The Athletic, and I am here with my co-host, Greg Kaplan, also The Athletic. Gregory, say hello. The week of Blue Shirts Breakaway. Before we do anything, Ryan, I got to get something off my chest. Yeah, you might as well. So I'm watching mm-hmm. this introductory press conference with new Mets general manager, Jared Porter, right? Well, you and haven't we'll, been we'll paying attention to all the New York Ranger news and all the NHL yeah. news that's going on? Like, yeah. they're still talking. Mm-hmm. Okay, keep going. It's a pivotal week, Ryan. It's been a pivotal week for the last three weeks. Yes. Uh, incredible. Anyway, they're winding down the question portion with Jared Porter. I, I hang around for the questions because some of them are interesting. And I got to be honest, the, the the Mets baseball media does a really good job of getting interesting answers out of people from random questions. Um, mm-hmm. Wish that was applicable in every sport, but to each their own. Anyway. One of the last questions, Jared Porter, who's been Mets general manager for maybe three days, maybe three days. 22 minutes, really. Guy from Syracuse.com comes onto the call. Jared Porter has just spent the last hour explaining about how he's trying to get up to speed on the organization, how he's relying on a lot of information from Sandy Alderson and his team 
that he already has in place, how everything's going to be really fluid moving forward because this is a guy still trying to get his feet under him. Guy from Syracuse.com asks him, Jared, congratulations. So uh, Chad Kruder, is he going to be the Syracuse Mets manager? And I'm like, nobody here gives a fuck about the Syracuse <laughs> Mets. Who gives a shit about who's managing a AAA guy? Nobody. I, I really wish Jared Porter would look at, like, no, nobody in baseball would ever do this. But Jared Porter should have just looked him dead in the eyes and gone, shut the fuck up and get the fuck off this call. <laughs> like, what a question. I Part of me respects it, right? It's ballsy. Like, uh, Imagine, imagine David Quinn's introductory press conference. Like, David, congratulations uh, on becoming New York Rangers head coach. Have you put into any thought on what the organization should do with the main Mariners in the ECHL? No, uh, I haven't. No, no, he hasn't. <laughs> I He's haven't. been here for two minutes. Yeah. What are you doing? Yeah, uh, that's a good Quinn comparison uh, because Quinn definitely – he was outside of the baseball or rather the hockey realm too. I mean, he was at BU, but he was not your typical – hire the coaches in a NHL and same, the same thing with Porter, right? He's like, he was pretty high up in the Arizona, uh, organization. We'll get to Porter later. Actually, let's, let's, let's do some, whatever news there is now. And we'll close the all show. I'm, all I'm, all I'm going to say, we'll, we'll, we'll talk about it more later, but all I'm going to say is it seems very interesting that the New York Mets hired a guy who won four world series titles with Theo Epstein. That's all I'm going to say. I, uh, want to bring that up. We will talk. All I'm going to say, we will talk. All right. Um, not too much news this week. Surprise, everybody. What? Yeah. No. So uh, my, jo- my joke is that Pierre, like, has the draft saved. Like, they're still talking. Important week. Because Pierre is our coworker and would love to have him on. But, uh, you know, it's it's the same shit. It really is. Are you, t- are you trying to tell me he's not going to take 10 minutes to write a new tweet? I don't think so. <laughs> mm. <laughs> Deep cuts. Uh, <laughs> yes. It, it's a, Here's the thing. It's the mm. same. It's the same. We're, we're 30 days away. Right from from what we presume is a hockey season, the mm-hmm. new, the new reports, at least from Larry Brooks, who by the way is Larry like the legit insider that actually gets scoops because it seems like I know he does this, but we've made jokes about NHL insiders for a very long time as sure as they do not report like the the in the same way that the NBA and even the MLB report on things, even though the MLB this year has been a little bit slow, so. Larry says, excuse me, sorry, I just swallowed my own spit on live on podcast, and now I'm dying. But Larry said the 13th or the 16th, like he, but no one else has said that yet except Larry. So is he actually sourced in in that case? I will say this. Larry is sourced in. We've we've ripped him a couple times because he gets some things wrong. Uh, And he's obsessed with Josh Anderson. But I think his... The things he gets wrong are highlighted so much because he's the only person saying anything. Larry Brooks, as much as we've 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 dedicated so many hours to this in the history of this podcast um, about how just the NHL is not covered my, like my, other my dude. Sports. There's been three hockey games since March 12th. I think yeah. we're allowed to talk about the well, same. No, no, but we have. It's not even <laughs> just this year. Like we've talked about this numerous times in the past. I I, I think. Larry Brooks sometimes get a bad, gets a bad rap because he's the only person on the NHL beat that isn't treating it like the NHL, right? So when someone is going that hard against the grain, that means their misses are going to be highlighted mm-hmm. because nobody, nobody else misses because nobody else takes shots, right? Yeah. So if Larry Brooks is shooting 70%, he's getting 
that 30% that he's gotten wrong just rip to shreds because nobody is willing to be wrong in the NHL. I These dates would make sense. We've, we've seen reports that players are starting to trickle back to the United States, so it sure seems like Shesterkin the dates will be flying to New York today if you're listening to it. This is on Tuesday. Right. It, it seems like those dates make sense. Now, me personally, Ryan, I think it's utterly ridiculous that these guys are going to report to camp around New Year's and be ready to play a regular season two hockey game in weeks two weeks later. Yeah. That's ridiculous. I'm, what are we doing? I'm actually a little con- concerned, and I don't think this is far-fetched, and I won't be the only one that says this, but the NA- the NFL, even this year, like, you saw the first two months, right? Like, everybody tore their ACL. Am I like? Am I exaggerating? Because I feel like we had some serious star injuries in the in the NFL the first two months, but there was no preseason games and there was shortened camps. Everything was shortened. And there that- was there was still there was still a healthy at least a healthy month, right? There there was no there were no preseason games, and there was no um, spring OTAs. Mm-hmm. But there was still a month long camp, and the NHL where these guys. The New Jersey Devils haven't played since March, right? Yep. The The Rangers played three games, one of which was an exhibition. Four games, one of which was an exhibition. Four games. Uh, Islanders since and, March. Islanders and then three Carolina games. Yep. I, just, I, I think it's unfair to the players to expect them to be ready to go. The, the first month of this season, even if you take away the injury concern, which will exist, but the first month of the season is just going to be a fucking shit show. Two weeks to get... You're asking for, I understand professional athletes are like the top 1% of athletic people in the world. I looked at Artemi Panarin with his shirt off this week and I went, we are not the same species. Right. <laughs> we are just not. Right. They're, they're, they're freaks of nature. They don't make any sense. It's, it's bonkers, but I, I, what are we doing? Like, I understand it's, I get the, I get why there's a rush. The NHL has a hard out date where they can't interfere with the Olympics. Not even that they can't interfere with the Olympics. It's that they just won't be on TV if they try to play this season any later than the end of July. Right. Um, but this is on the NHL. They knew this was coming. They knew this was hap- They knew this was going to happen. This. They knew this second wave was going to happen. They knew that they had a hard deadline with NBC. They knew that all these things were going to happen. So you can't sit here and tell me that the NHL only has time for two weeks two-week training camp before the regular season because they have to get these games in. What stopped them from having these conversations back in October and saying, you know what? League's going to start up after American Thanksgiving. We're going to, between Canadian Thanksgiving and American Thanksgiving is going to be our training camp and our preseason. Season starts December 1st. 60-game season will end by the end of July. Everybody's happy. But they just decided what to fuck around for a couple of months. I, I know that the NBA, and I know we've done a lot of NBA and NHL comparison on this show recently. But they had like serious, like we have to get this done by Friday, or or there's a lot of money on the table. That's it. And they came together with the players and talked about everything and made sure that everything was taken care of. Boom, but, and just done. Then they're starting this week. Preseason already started. Like we are getting real NBA games next week. Uh, we're uh, we're only a, we're a month away from NHL games, but. It's uh, it's still a ways away. They did not properly handle this. Not real. I, I gave Batman props for the bubble. I thought the bubble was a tremendous job by the NHL. I think they were the first, really before even before the NBA, to really get it done and get it in practice. And good for them. It was an exceedingly great event and success. 
Uh, I think the players would tell you that they would never want to do it again, and rightfully so. Being in a hotel, I, I, I stayed in Vegas for a week in a hotel once. I felt like uh, the worst I've ever felt in my life. So I understand why how living in a hotel room for two months would drain you and you'd be absolutely miserable despite playing for the Stanley Cup. And that's what you want. A tremendous success. But after that, uh, just just uh, it's not a drop the ball, but it's a miss shooting the puck situation. You, everything's preventable. Even the NBA, as much as we like to give Adam Silver credit, dropped the ball a little bit oh, yeah. with how they prepared up coming to the season. It's It's just like... As soon as the bubbles ended for both leagues, everyone kind of said, ah, thank God we did it. And the NBA almost immediately started thinking that this is great. We're going to have to figure this shit out for next year. Whereas the NHL was like, that was wonderful. We'll see you guys after Thanksgiving talk then. Unfortunately, when they came back from Thanksgiving, they come back from Thanksgiving. The owners are like, hey, by the way, we finally read that Hmm. memorandum of understanding and we hate it. Fun, fun. Can we change that? Um, And the player's like, fuck, no, you can't. I don't blame them. I have a question for you. It's been, uh, we've had three games in over 300 days of recording this podcast. Will it be weird when there's actual hockey to talk about? I honestly don't know how to answer that because my mind hasn't been able to wrap around the idea of actual games being played. I actually just talked to Diana before this and I was like, you know, oh, hockey in a month. And then I thought to myself, I'm going to have to watch games again. That's weird. <laughs> like, I, I, it's it's strange. I I I assume you and I will get back into a rhythm pretty seamlessly. Um, Five years to do I, that. I just I haven't considered the actual premise of hockey being played because and that's on the NHL. Like I it's I'm sitting here, a guy who's literally getting worked up about idiots asking questions of the AAA coaching staff for the New York Mets yep. on December 14th, and how ridiculous that is. I'm ready for baseball to start tomorrow. I cannot process what the NHL would look like or be excited for the NHL coming back because the league doesn't seem like it wants to. Does the league seem to you like it wants to come back? Um, the players seem like they want to come back. I'll give you that. I think the players do, would like honest to come back. question. Do they? Yes, I, I I do think there are some players that legitimately would like to come back. Others uh, are. I can't speak for everyone because I'm not everyone, but well, I just something I saw today, not, mm-hmm. not related at all. I, I, I don't mean, I didn't mean for that to come off as sounding like it doesn't seem like the NHL players want to play. I'm sure they want to play. I was more talking just about the way that they market themselves and how God awful it is. Oh, TSN yeah. TSN tweeted out a video today of Sidney Crosby. It's like 28 seconds long and it's essentially Sidney Crosby wishing everybody a safe and happy new year and Merry Christmas and all that jazz. And I just got bored 10 seconds into it because Sidney Crosby has the personality of a fucking thumbnail. It's just, I wish, I wish he had just one ounce of personality. Well, and I saw that video. That's and he's, like, he's, like, he's like, hey guys, uh, Sidney Crosby here. And I would like to wish everybody a Merry Christmas. And I'm like, Sid, if you tried to be just 1% interesting, then I'd actually feel like I'd feel something about this upcoming season. I mean, but he's just sitting there and I'm just like, you, you freaking knobhead. What are you even saying? I, uh, you know what? I'm going to counterpoint you just a little bit. I agree with Please you. Please do. I agree with you on the Sidney Crosby part. We, we, we have a whole podcast about that. That is, will never be heard again. Um, 
but now but, hold on. I don't I don't think he's a B or no B. I, I, I don't I, think he's that. I just think he's fucking boring. I agree. It's boring or no boring. That's the new podcast. He's definitely on oh, the boring we, side. Are we doing boring or no boring for uh, OT this week? Yeah, probably. So um Fantastic. But in this case, I want to I want to come back a little bit because I do feel like you're you're right with the Sidney Crosby, but Artemi Panarin, like on Instagram, is electric. Everything he posts is absolutely very strange and out of nowhere and just weird and eccentric and exciting. He's a weird guy. I wish he, you know, English isn't his first language. I wish he was a little bit more vocal in that way. But everything he does otherwise is. Is, is exciting. It gets me ready to ready to go. It's is it about hockey. No, not always. Sometimes he's wearing sweatpants and a suit. Like <laughs> sometimes he's holding a knife and the caption says trying to kill people. Pretty interesting. Like that's a, that's a person I want to follow. Where Sydney, not so much. Yeah, I do wonder if it. It's a little tough because some of the best personalities we've seen recently in hockey, to no fault of their own, it just doesn't translate. Like Yamir Yager, straight G. Wonderful person. Booch legitimately seems like an out-of-this-world character slash personality. But there are obvious limitations there. Mm-hmm. And it's it's just – it's also fucking hockey culture, dude. It's just for whatever reason, everything feels like it just has to be insulated for some reason. Like it's when um, – our fr- friend of the show, Tom Ertz, tweeted out last week because it was the anniversary of when Artem Anisimov scored a shorthanded goal – turned around and pretended to essentially shoot the goalie Mm -hmm. with a sniper rifle and the um, lightning obviously got super pissed off and annoyed. If that happened more like ridiculous goal celebrations that seem to mock the other team, man, I'm all about it. Like the people who say they hate bat flipping in baseball, get the fuck out of here. Dude, the NFL literally had to make a rule because celebrations sell. They sell. They do. And yeah. you know when hockey clips go viral? When there's a tremendous selly. That's like when they go viral. Like disgusting yeah. shootouts goals, sellies, benches going crazy. Like that's when they go viral. That should be weird celebrations like that. Uh, of course, afterwards you should hug, and hug your teammates, be part of it, whatever. But weird stuff like that should be part of the game. 1,000%. Yeah. I just, Anisimov did that. It's like, oh, shit. And then, yeah, the other team gets pissed. Who gives a shit if the other team gets pissed? Yeah. Then you get score. I don't care. Come back and score. You, you don't want him. You don't want him to dunk on you. Maybe prevent him from scoring. Yeah. How about that? <laughs> it's that. That's why I also get annoyed. Like stuff like uh, if someone has just a drip of a bat drop in baseball, and the pitcher throws at the next guy, motherfucker. If you don't want him to celebrate giving up a home run, don't give up the goddamn home run. I don't know what to tell you. It's not that hard. Uh, yeah, you sucked. Some guy is celebrating the fact that he succeeded off your suckiness. Don't be angry. Who? Who? Why are you angry at him? You, you, you were shit for that second. You were awful. You were awful for that minute. And now you're angry that someone is celebrating because they succeeded off your awfulness. I got news for you, motherfucker. That's just life. A lot Start of, living. A lot of F-bombs from Greg today. Fired up on a Monday. Uh, Sorry. It's okay. I had a drink before I, we started. I, I don't care. I'm going to cut that part out just for, just for employers. Um, with Of water. <laughs> that's what I said. We're both hydrating. We both are drinking tea. Yes, absolutely. Uh, not a tea guy. Not a hot beverage guy. Not a, I forgot about that. Sorry. Yeah. My apologies. Don't like soup either for that exact reason. You don't like soup? I, it's the, it's the, the temperature of the beverage. I also <laughs> sometimes get really shaky hands. Really? And I get really self-conscious about it. Okay. And I don't like the image of me having to try to attempt to put soup 
in my mouth while it's that is vibrating and gyrating. I, I, I'm mentally imaging you putting like tomato soup while your hands shaking and it's just going everywhere. Yeah, it's not not for me, man. Not for me. All right, quick before we get to five star questions, have you seen the Calder Trophy odds? Yes, and I need to remind everyone that odds are shaped more by how people are betting and not whether Vegas thinks that will actually come true. That's a good it's the same reason why it's the same reason why the Steelers and the Cowboys were always have their Super Bowl odds lower than they should be. Um, yeah, there there are a part of those odds that reflect who the bookmakers think can win. Before you keep going, let me say what they are. Igor Shosturkin is plus one seventy five, and mm-hmm. Alexi Lafreniere is plus three seventy five. They are one and two. Yes, which is totally justified just on a talent standpoint. Mm-hmm. But I do. It's important to remember, and I had a. I got into a big argument with a friend of mine when on election night, the odds shifted so dramatically towards a re-election as opposed to an and new president. Uh, the line shift because the lines, the line is specifically made for you to consider not making the bet that you want to make. So if you, if you think truly that Igor Shosturkin is going to win the Calder and enough people think that Vegas is going to lower the line to make you consider betting on someone else. They don't want to lose money. That's their job. So if more money is going on this one player, they will continue to lower the line to protect themselves from losing a ton of money. So yeah, I, I think it's justified. I, I, I obviously think Igor, if healthy, has shown to be one of possibly a top 10 goalie this coming season. Um, he's going to get a lot of the focus, especially with the Rangers, because the defense is going to be bad. And Lafreniere, we've been told he's the golden boy for how long, so obviously he needs to be a top two as well. But just a reminder that odds are reflected directly by how people are betting, on more so than what Vegas thinks will actually happen. I'm glad you, I'm if glad I, you if said I had a, If I yeah, had yeah. a bet, by the way, I would put it on Lafreniere. So I, I think a long shot bet here that's, that's quite good, uh, and I could be... Maybe I'm I'm pumping him up too much, but Sorokin, the Islanders goalie, is plus twenty five hundred. Like I was told, he was comparable to Igor in, in many ways. And to yeah, but he I don't I you'll have to correct me, or our friend Ethan will have to correct me, or our friend um, or anybody Islander fan, anybody Islanders. Uh, he's going to be in more of a timeshare than Igor is, right? Don't don't the, didn't the Islanders keep one of? They did. They kept. Uh, what's his Larlamov? name? Larmov. Is he still yeah, there? Yeah, Larmov is still there. That's correct. Yeah, and they have so Corey Schneider also somehow. I believe. Interesting. Yes. Uh, good for Corey. Yes. Um, we should say that Keith Kincaid could eat into Igor's playing time. No, hey. Uh, <laughs> I love Keith, but I can't say that to his face. Ah, uh, yeah. Um, I, you might get a backup start once in a while. Who knows? Yeah, I, I think I think Sorokin has a much more complicated path to getting even 50% of the starts for the Islanders. I think it's possible. Plus 2,500 is just so like, that is a lot of cash. I'm just saying. Sure. Yeah, exactly. Like Vegas is not convinced, not just Vegas isn't convinced, but a lot of people aren't betting him. So the odds are going to be longer. Uh, My favorite long-term bet that I placed years ago, I have a $5 bet that Bono is going to be the next Pope. 
I don't think it's going to come true. <laughs> I forgot it about plus, that. It was plus 50,000. So it's, it, I'm, I'm in. It's $5. I've lost $5 in worse ways. If it actually happens, I'm going to be a rich, rich man. That was worth it. Um, we don't actually have enough time before the break to do uh, five-star questions. We're going to have Ryan on. We, could, we can get one or two or three in here. Let's see if we can, we can uh, speed run them, shall we? Uh. Uh, Arts, oh, this is a caller question. Updated Friday. Given the opinion, do you think any any player from the Rangers, Laugh, Shesterkin, Miller, etc., on the field, who would you take any of them? Okay, yeah, we just talked about this. I think I think Shesterkin yeah, is the favorite for a reason. This is AJ from Michigan, right? But I would still bet it. it you'd get better money for Lafreniere, and Lafreniere is going to have a lot more opportunity because Correct. he's going to play everything. Absolutely, yeah. I would take I would take a mm, long shot. I would go Sorokin on the Islanders, but I've never, I've never bet on Islanders, so I'd go Lafreniere. Uh, that's from AJ. Uh, this is from Amhoffen11. Love the podcast. The random banter is the best content yet. Which ranger do you think is the most likely to stream themselves playing Among Us? Which hat do you think each player would pick? Nick Westchester. I've only played Among Us a couple times, which I know is crazy because people go nuts for that game. They think it's like crack cocaine or something. I have no idea, mm. but people people go insane for Among Us. It's wild. Um, but I, who is the most likely to play it? Uh, stream themselves. The most likely to play it is Chris Kreider, and he plays in private servers and tricks everyone into winning all the time. But the most likely to stream it is probably like Booch or someone in that in that case. Um, but not I in could, English. I could see Keandre getting big. Oh man, too. Keandre would be like a, great a Twitch stream. stream on Among Us. Yep, it'd be a good stream. I watch the shit out of it. I know our friend Benoit Pouliot. Uh, he, he he'd be the answer for X Ranger. It's true. It's true. Benny, come on the show. Not ready for podcasts. Uh, Ranger fan nineteen eighty. Uh, Ranger fan nine nine one four. My dyslexia destroyed me there. Guys, you make it sound like being in the tougher division in the shortened season is a bad thing. Last time I checked, which is by listening to your podcast, we are still developing young guns and uh, rebuilding. Is rebuilding is the best way to do it. I mean, uh, best division in hockey is fifty six game sprint. We stated the goals is a lot of things. Even if you don't make the playoffs, yeah, we kind of said this though. We we said like it's yeah. iron on iron. Like it's good. It's really good to be in a tough division. Like. We the divisions are not confirmed yet. We don't know if these are confirmed divisions. We talked about them last week on OT. But if, yeah. if if the division does have like Boston, like we said, it's good to be playing against these great teams all the time because there's a that's a, that's a great bar to hold yourself up to. You have to be this good to compete in the years going forward. Yeah, I don't even think we outright said it was bad. We it, it depends on what your expectations are for the New York Rangers next year. Yeah, if you want to make the playoffs, the New York Rangers bad. to be a playoff team. I got bad news for you. Like the. If you wanted the Rangers to make the playoffs next year, again, it's totally possible because it's a shortened season and literally anything fucking goes in a shortened season. Plus, all it all it takes is one of these teams to go through a St. Louis Cardinals or Miami Marlins level COVID event and everything could change. Absolutely. And Ryan's joining the call. But it's not a bad thing. Okay, let's get to our friend Ryan Clark. We'll finish up the five stars later. Uh, love you guys. Transition. Hey, we're back with our first guest of the day, recurring guest, and uh, a lot of times on this podcast now, Mr. Ryan Clark of The Athletic. You are now of Seattle. Congratulations. How did that all go down? Uh, well, for starters, thank you. Just what it was, was before I covered the Avalanche at The Athletic, I covered the Washington Huskies for, believe it or not, all of eight months. But it was an area that my wife and I got to know super well, and we made a lot of connections here. And so whenever there were moments to go do Kraken stories, I volunteered and then it just worked into being one of those things where they're like, Hey, there's hockey, which, you know, in Seattle, which, you know, what if we put those two things together and it just, it worked out that way. So was really fortunate that we can make it happen. And 
we've been in Seattle a little bit more than three weeks, between three and four weeks, actually. Well, congratulations. I, I know that you thought Thank the you. avalanche were getting too boring and you had to move on. You don't have to lie. I understand. Yeah, that's exactly it. I mean, <laughs> Nathan McKinnon, Kale McCarr, Miko Rantanen, Gabriel Landeskog, a cup contender. It's just, yeah, yeah, let me tell you. No, I mean, you know, look, the thing is, it was a really difficult decision because there are things about covering the avalanche that were great, but you look at a place like Seattle and it's something that meant a lot to my wife and I, and we had always said that if we could get back, we would do it. And when you just kind of look at the Kraken and all the potential ideas story-wise that could happen with this team, it, it was just too enticing to, to say no. So for us, it was, it was a hard thing to leave Denver because Denver has been really good to us. But at the same time, coming back was something we knew we wanted to do. It would have been great if your last Colorado article for The Athletic was something like, why Nathan McKinnon is actually overpaid. Yeah, because that would have gone over super well. <laughs> um, I mean, it's $6.3 million a year. It's arguably, if not the best outright contract in the NHL. And so, it, you know, it's just it's interesting because, you know, when you think about, like, what those last stories are going to be, um, you just want to make sure that you do something that it just keeps up the theme. So whoever takes over next, it's not like it was this messy transition. You want it seamless as possible. And, you know, whoever, you know, takes over the beat, you know, that's my hope for them. It's just, they're able to come right in and fans are able to say, okay, cool. This is great to read about the avalanche on a regular basis again. And, you know, it'll be fun for everyone involved. Well, they're definitely going to win a cup now. So congratulations. Cause you left. That's just how it goes. <laughs> Nate, Nate, Nate McKinnon, one of the five best players in hockey, not even making James McCann money makes you sick. Jesus. All right, let's well, move. You know, I mean, no, 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 let's address this because <laughs> it's kind of like when Patrick Mahomes signed his, you know, $500 million extension. It's like, yeah, one year of Mahomes is like a team salary cap. He bought uh, like, the Royals, you know, Ryan. <laughs> I mean, like, it's, 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 it's insane. I mean, like when you just look across like where some of these leagues are and they're like, oh, he's going to sign for like, the league veteran minimum of like 5 million. And it's like, you realize 5 million in the NHL can go a long way. Like 5 million is a Jordan Eberle. Well, like 90% of a Jordan Eberle's contract. But yeah, you can do a lot with 5 million in the NHL. And I know it's another discussion for another day, but just it's, you know, you think back to like Latrell Sprewell when he's like, how am I supposed to feed my family off of this? And it's like, you were making like $14 million. Like, you also would have to give Julian Breezeball an extra $14 million right now. Uh, <laughs> he'd, he'd celebrate that. Absolutely. Yeah, we've talked a lot about the uh, the NHL versus other uh, leagues this, uh, this these past nine months, because I don't know if you know this, but we've only had three games of hockey to cover, which brings me to why it's so fun to cover the Kraken, because right now it's all the hypothetical, right? It's all the roster building. It's all the team building and the analytics crews. Like, they're, they've, from what I've read and from what I know, at least of some people that now work for the Kraken, have gathered this mastermind of analytic minds and, and forward-thinking hockey NHL minds into one organization. Well, you know, when you look at, like, what they've done with the Kraken, it's already one of the largest analytic staff in the NHL, according to Behind the Benches. And it goes back to just kind of what are some of the staples that they wanted to have with this organization? And analytics was one of them. So it starts with Alexandra Mandricki, who she was at War on Ice, then, of course, went to the Minnesota Wild. And she is someone who, even in her time in this sport, people have talked about her as being one of the young rising stars 
that we see in NHL front offices. And there are plenty of people who believe at some point she's going to be running a team someday. And so it started with her and then they gave her the license to build an analytics team. And so what she did is, you know, she went in some routes to make the most complete team possible. So you look at someone like Danny Chu, who is a student at Simon Fraser. He has a master's degree, uh, I believe in, what was it again? I want to say like uh, statistics or applied mathematics, one of the two. But you look at someone like Danny Chu, who's young, just getting into this. He had done public work uh, that had been seen by plenty of people on social and was respected in the analytics community. Uh, Namita Namdakumar is another one who, public work again, Ivy League grad from Penn, who she had worked for the Eagles. And so you bring in two people who have this sports analytics knowledge, but then you want to bring in people to kind of develop this product because here's the thing, like, it's not just that they're doing analytics. They've got to build a program to house all this data and information. So if you were at any NHL club, let's say the New York Rangers, the Minnesota Wild, the Dallas Stars, your clubs that have been in existence. So a lot of this groundwork has been laid at max or at minimum, you might have to do some adjustments with the Kraken. It's building this whole thing from, from the ground up and basically letting that serve as the foundation for what you do five, 10, 15 years down the road. And so they brought in Eric Matheson and John Rudis to be people who can create and design and program all this. And even with those two, their backgrounds are fascinating. With Matthiasen, he came from Microsoft. And with Mavrudis, like he was a Silicon Valley veteran who'd been working at a Dropbox company. And I believe it was a like an online signature company. I, I think it might've been DocuSign, he mm-hmm. said, where he's just like, yeah, you can only do so much with this. And so you now have this staff of people who like, yes, they all know about hockey, they know about sports, but they come at this in so many different ways that they think it can be the strongest group possible. It's so funny to think about how Namita was on our podcast like three years ago. I think it was leading up to the the Leah Sanderson Filipino 2017 draft. And we were just talking about like success outcomes for draft picks taken outside of the top 10 and how the NHL has ignored this sliding scale when it comes to late first, early second round draft picks and how the difference between taking a guy at 20 and taking a guy at 50 is just like minimal. And it's crazy to think that we were having the conversation three years ago. And even today, some people still don't totally believe that to be a thing, which brings me to my question. Um, Do you think unfairly there will be parts of the hockey community that are once again, rooting for this quote unquote experiment to fail, kind of like how they did with Cheka in Arizona. It's hard to say what people are thinking, um, but you know for sure that there's always going to be people who disagree or agree on certain things. And when it comes to analytics, there's probably going to be people who they're tired of hearing about it, reading about it, don't see the value. There's going to be the people who maybe somewhere in the middle who think it's a tool, but it's not the toolbox. Or some people who think it's the tool and the toolbox. And you have people who are going to say, we think this works. So it's, it's really difficult to say, but the thing is this, and let's use Namita as a really good example. So with her time with the Philadelphia Eagles, she was responsible for learning about different prospects in a seven round draft. So if you're Namita and you're the Eagles and you're saying, we want you to find a boundary corner, you're looking at everyone from schools in the SEC like Alabama and LSU to Southland Conference schools like McNeese State and Lamar 
to figure out where can you find the boundary corner in the sixth round that can give you value. What does that sound like now? It's the NHL where it's a seven round draft where, yeah, it's not the Southland Conference, but you're looking at the Liga or the Extra Liga. It may not be the SEC, but you're looking at the OHL or the Q or the WHL. Like, that's just it. It's like you're bringing in someone who has done this in another sport where the, the rounds are similar, the need for value is similar. But it's like Anita said, the big difference is the NFL is a you-must-be-ready-now sort of league, whereas if with the NHL, you know it's building for the future. And so if that can translate, and not only can that translate, but you're bringing in someone who has experience in a different sport, like that's something that if you're the Kraken, you use as an edge. And whether you believe in analytics or you don't believe in analytics or you're somewhere in the middle on analytics, the point is this. The Kraken are dedicated not only toward analytics, but having the sort of staff that looks at so many different things from a number of angles that it wants to give the best possible outcome of what they're doing. There, she'll, Namita will never say this, but I am still convinced to this day that if she was still with the Eagles, no chance they take Rieger over Justin Jefferson. Just none. None. <laughs> Zero chance she ever admits that. Um, never. Ryan, I want to follow up with that because there's something I – you know, I, I'm not too pro or, or privy rather to the expansion rules. And obviously, uh, I don't know if you've heard about this, but the Vegas Golden Knights were very, very successful in their first couple seasons. What has the NHL done to change the expansion rules for the Kraken or have they changed them at all? And uh, what I guess there's so much of a, so much of a high expectation for the Kraken. And I'm assuming that's part of one of the reasons they built this such an extravagant team of people who run the organization. I mean, totally. So in terms of the rules, the rules haven't changed. It's just so much. What do teams and general managers understand going into, let's say, 2021 versus the expansion draft of 2017? And so if you're a team, you're trying to avoid the Riley Smith, Jonathan Marcheseau look back at what could this have done for our franchise or giving away an Alex Tuck and an Eric Holla. Those are the things you want to avoid. In some cases, you may not be able to avoid them. But what makes this so interesting is how the flat cap is going to change that dynamic. Because before the pandemic, it was just simply, how do general managers think about this and how differently do they approach this? And you have teams in 2017 that may not have been that good, that suddenly going into 2021, they are. And now it becomes kind of this race against time to figure out what do you do to protect as many players as possible with the idea you're going to lose something, not necessarily someone, but you could lose something like a draft pick. And so now with the flat cap, the assumption is the Kraken might be in the driver's seat because they're going to have cap space. So if you're Seattle, and let's say the expansion draft that happened this past offseason, you're probably talking to the Tampa Bay Lightning quite a bit with all of their cap issues. That's a team that's trying to move Tyler Johnson. If you're the Kraken, maybe you look at someone like Ryan McDonough and that contract. I mean, yes, there's some term on it. It's 6.75 million. But at the same time, it gives you a legitimate top four defenseman who might be your first team captain in, in franchise history. So there's a lot of items to weigh and consider. But as far as just the Kraken themselves are concerned, going into the expansion draft, I mean, first of all, knowing when the draft will be will certainly help. But also it's looking around at every team and not just so much looking at who makes sense, but it's also the idea of like, well, what if we take this person because they're a UFA? 
and we don't necessarily sign them, but we ha- we took someone because that's the rules, but also that's free cap space that we can go again, that we can go, excuse me, that we can go then use to either make a move in free agency or have the sort of financial freedom to where when it comes to trade, you have more bargaining power than what most would have anticipated, let's say, even six months ago. Yeah, I, I, to me, the the most fascinating part of any expansion process, and it was this way in 2017 too, is, is the literal fact that you just said that they're going into this with $81.5 million in cap space, which means they can do whatever the hell they want, and you're going to have to give them a pretty penny to do what you want them to do. Um, you mentioned Ryan McDonough. I this this is might be a hard question to answer because we're one year away and so much can change in one year. Can you foresee a star that we're not thinking of right now ending up in Seattle because of the world we live in now? Just for the hypothetical, because like you said, a lot can change right now. A team like Edmonton is really fascinating. Just because when you look at who's going to be coming up for a new contract, maybe it's Tyson Berry. Maybe something with Adam Larson happens. Ryan Nugent Hopkins is the name that people are talking about in free agency. And the thing is, if you're the Oilers, really, if you're any team, if you have three good players, three players that you know can make a difference, yes, you want to keep them, but you also have to be very smart about what you're paying. And it's wild that we look back at the Dreisaitl deal, and at the time, people were thinking, Jesus, what was Peter Chiarelli doing giving Leon Dreisaitl $8.5 million? You look at that deal now, and it's like, okay, <laughs> how can you swing that again and again and again if you're an NHL general manager? And so what happens with someone like Nugent Hopkins is going to be really interesting. Because in Edmonton, depending on where you line up Dreisaitl, he's your second or third line center. And if you use Dreisaitl at center as opposed to the wing, then it creates a conversation about what's the value of someone like Nugent Hopkins. So if you're the Kraken, maybe that's a little bit of an easier pill to swallow because maybe he comes there and he's your first or your second line center. So it's not necessarily saying like here are players, but here is a team in Edmonton where there is a situation where that could play out. You can see the same thing happening in Tampa. I mean, we mentioned Tyler Johnson. We mentioned Ryan McDonough, maybe Andre Pilat, uh, Yanni Gord. Like, again, there are just so many different conversations. And another team worth looking at hypothetically could be the Colorado Avalanche. But what makes their situation so different is they're going to have money coming off the books. So if you're going to have Ian Cole at 425 coming off the books, Matt Calvert, want to say like at 285 off the top of my head coming off the books, Belmar's 1-8 coming off the books. So you're going to have calf space, but where it gets really interesting is Gabriel Landeskog is a UFA and he's going to get paid. He's making, I believe, 5.571 off the top of my head is, is the number. Philip Grubauer at 3-3. If Philip Grubauer has a good year and they go far and he's healthy, that 3-3 number is going to rise. And then there's the big one. Kale McCarr's entry-level deal comes to an end. And what makes that even more complex is Let's say this was a normal climate where you have increased tax space. If you're Makar and you're his agent, you look at the Shabbat uh, deal and say, this is your comparable, eight over eight. How high do you want to go? 
And not only that, but you're in an RFA class with Dale McCarr, Rasmus Dahlin, Quinn Hughes, Miro Heiskinen. So it's going to be like what we saw, not this past summer, but the summer before with Miko Rantanen, Mitch Marner, that group of group two RFA fours. But if you're Colorado, like, well, it's a promising future, you're going to have to pay for it. And that's where a team like the Kraken can really take advantage in these situations. I was looking at the, uh, by the way, if anyone wants to read this article, it's uh, by Eric and Ryan. It's on the athletic.com. It's the Kraken Draft 5.0. And I'm looking at your draft picks here, Ryan, and I, I, I found something pretty funny. You have four former Ranger defensemen on this team, and I want you to know that that's not really always a good thing. Um, you have Brady Shea, Ryan Graves, who I've, I've grown to love over, over time, Lieber Hayek coming from the Rangers, and Ryan McDonough, who may be their first captain, as you mentioned. I keep seeing Lieber Hayek's name, but we're, I'm sort of always confused as to what is the the lore of Lieber Hayek because I, I do think they're going to get smarter because from what we saw, at least Rick Carpinello's input into this, Gauthier is also available, and I know that Gauthier has some ties to the Seattle organization uppers uh, as they drafted him originally. So uh, I, I kind of want you to break down a little bit, if you could, like what would be the allure of Lieber Hayek in this situation? Sure, well, the first thing is if you're the Kraken you're going to be building a farm system. And so if you look at someone like Hayek, maybe that's a prospect that you can use over time to develop. Someone who goes down between the AHL and the NHL, but above all, he is a cheap contract. And so the thing about him versus someone like Julian Gauthier, which it could very much be Julian Gauthier, who is the player that's taken from the Rangers is players like Gauthier are going to be available. That's sort of bottom six, cheap contract player. And so at that point, it's a matter of, well, if those guys are going to be available, look for something you may or may not have. And when you look at Hayek, the thing that's going to be interesting is what do they do in terms of maybe trying to build for the future? If that's something that's even really a concern, because when you look at what Ron Francis and Ed, excuse me, Ricky Olchek did when they were in Carolina is they were very good about creating a process that allowed them to not only get players, but they did it through the draft. They did it through their system. If you look at Carolina now, a lot of that talent is homegrown. And arguably the best example of that would be Jacob Slavin, a guy who was a mid-round pick. They let him develop at Colorado College. And years later, he blossoms in not only to an all-star, but someone who people talk about is, should he get more votes for the Norse? Is he one of the most complete defensemen in the entire NHL. And it's not to say that that's going to happen all the time, but when you made it clear that you feel like you can build through the draft and through prospects, you would think, again, as a faux general manager for an exercise like this, that maybe someone like Hayek would be included as part of that equation because you can't just have veterans. You can't just have guys who are on one, two, three-year contracts. You need to have someone with team control. So a guy like him in that situation made sense. But again, it could be someone else completely by the end of it. Uh, the, this, I promise you this isn't a gotcha, but would it surprise you if I told you that Lieber Hayek was only four months younger than Julian Gauthier? No, not, a, not at all. Um, it's not necessarily totally an age thing, but again, it goes back to what was said in the beginning in that with Gauthier, like there are forwards like him that are going to be available. Right. With defensemen, I mean, yes, there's going to be young defensemen available, but at the same time, it's kind of like, where do you think that you can take the most, I'm not going to say time or leeway, 
but like, where do you think that maybe you can find the best fit? So if there's more players like Goche out there and maybe less like Hayek, maybe it makes sense to go with Hayek. But again, there's so many different amalgamations that could come through. At this point, you could flip a coin. Now that said, when I was going through the process of picking between Goche or Hayek for the Rangers, like that's the thing you kept coming back to is just like, could Goche play right away? Could Hayek play right away? Does that matter? But also you just kept finding, it feels like it's so much easier to find guys like Goche than it is a defensive like Hayek. And of course, Hayek is not the finished product. You're going on the idea of promise and what you could develop into. And maybe it works, maybe it doesn't work. Who's to say? Um, so the article's been out there for at least a day. When people are listening to this, we're, at, we're going on to hour 48 here with, with the piece. I think most Ranger fans would be thrilled if Lieber Hayek was the guy we lost in the expansion draft. Was there a fan base you've heard from vocally that says, hell effing no, are we losing this guy in the expansion draft? Um, in terms of fan bases, it depends. I mean, like, you don't know because, I mean, everybody's going to have a different opinion. But, like, let's say you're a Philadelphia Flyers fan and you see James Van Reen's site. Yeah, there's a party that probably wants – that $7 million cap hit off the books, whether that happens or not, it remains to be seen. But for the most part, it's, it's kind of hard to say because I mean, a lot of fans understand that there are certain things that are too early to predict, but in other cases, there are some where if you read between the lines, it makes sense. So if you're a Dallas Stars fan, you know that there's a really good possibility. You can lose Anton Hudobin because he makes the most sense. It's a goaltender. It's someone with a cheap cap hit. If you're the Montreal Canadiens, maybe you think it's Jake Allen. Maybe it's somebody else. And that's just it. It's like, it's so hard to say because like with some teams, it seems pretty evident. But here is one that's interesting. So when you look through our Blackhawks writer's story, what Mark Lazarus and Scott Powers did, and they were like, hey, we see Connor Murphy maybe being the player that's exposed. It was interesting going through those comments and seeing Blackhawk fans go, I hope this isn't true. Like, I, I really want to see Connor Murphy for all these different reasons, or even Capitals fans, when it came down to the conversation of Jonas Siegenthaler, that if he has a good year, a good defenseman who's playing on the PK, one of the best PKs in the league, he's carved a role for himself, and he's a young player on a cheap contract, like, yeah, there's a reason why you want to hold on to him, especially a team like the Capitals, that is older, that they do have cap issues they have to manage. So, again, it just all depends. I, I, I think this is an unfair question, Ryan, but I'm going to throw it out anyway. This season is going to be weird. There's no doubt about it. Is, have you heard anything from the Kraken organization that kind of says, like, we're taking this year with a grain of salt when it comes to uh, evaluating players within the league? Because there will be, like, a week and a half of training camp, no preseason games, no nothing else, and – Everyone's going to have to play themselves in the shape. You kind of have to take this year as a, well, wait and kind of see. Like, you, this might be like a throwout shortened season for a lot of different players, and it might not be the true players they are. That thought really hasn't been conveyed in terms of the NHL as much as it's been with more prospects because people keep saying the growth a prospect can make between ages 16 and 17 to, you know, 16 to 17, 17 to 18 can be really vital in their development. And that's what's going to be difficult. But with pro players, it's one of those things where they were able to get some scouting done 
last season and maybe try to get a feel for what happens. Now, yes, you might see someone that you go, is this, is this going to be reflective of what we're getting or not? But on the flip side of that, if you're the team having to make a protection decision, it's the same thing. So let's look at, like, let's just try to think of a, of a team that might be in that situation. Like if you are the Calgary Flames and there's someone you're kind of sort of iffy about right now, and then let's say they play really well, how does that change the calculus for you going forward? So that's just it. It's like, yes, we talk about it from the Kraken's perspective and, and naturally so, but if you're the team that has to make a decision about whether to protect someone or leave them exposed, it's the same question you've got to ask, which is, are we doing this based off of what we saw in a shortened season? And do we think this can carry on? Or are we comfortable saying, let's leave this person exposed because maybe this is the outlier season compared to all the other ones we've seen? Got it. Yes. It- How, um, oh, no, you go, Ryan. No, after you, sir. Oh, no, no, no. I, I concede. Oh, wow, really? Okay, so with that situation, um, I, I guess what I... Wait, wait, Greg conceded on something? I know. I, Look, I... man. <laughs> Go on. No, Greg, it's been, after it's, you. Been a day, it's been a day. That's all I'm saying. Um, so with that all being said, it's it's kind of hard. I was going to say the big disadvantage that the Kraken are at uh, as my follow-up would be the, the prospecting. And we don't even know how the AHL is going to happen this season. Like, so... Uh, do, are they going to take like old drafts? Like, or what information can they even gather at this point? That's got to be their tremendous disadvantage comparatively to the Knights in the expansion draft. And, you know, and I think that's the question that's probably going to take several months to answer is what does this mean for you in the sense of the AHL, which going back to your question about guys like Gauthier or, or Hayek, like that's something that has to be considered is do you, do you now use some of these expansion draft slots to take players that seen with the idea that if they've got to sit in the AHL for a bit, you feel comfortable knowing what they are versus players that you may not have seen footage of for a while. And so like, it's a very different conversation if you're talking about someone who's an experienced AHL veteran. So let's take someone like, who would be a really good experienced AHL player off the top of your head, that would be really. You mean other like, than Gauthier, who just like played six games in the NHL? Well, or... I let. Well, I meant like someone older. Like, let's say we're talking about like. How about how about Phil? How about if we're if we're going from Rangers, Phil DiGiuseppe? I mean, he's basically perfect example. Perfect example you're thinking of. Perfect, perfect example. So he is someone who like he's been in the AHL for a while. You know what he is at this point, and not only that, but you can make the argument because of what he's done in the AHL. He's a great dressing room presence to have for younger players, whatever you want. The point is, you know what he is at this point because you've seen several years of it. He's at a certain stage of his career. So maybe that's something that's a little bit more comfortable. The hard thing about trying to take a guy like that is every organization is trying to get someone like that. So when you look at what the Avalanche did with the Eagles, not this past offseason, but the offseason before summer 2019, They made a point to go get guys like Eric Condra, these older veteran guys, because they're like, look, we see a lot of promise with our prospects like Martin Howe, Connor Timmons, Shane Bowers, Logan O'Connor. We need them to be around guys like this, guys like Kevin Kanaki, like these older players who like they've seen the NHL, 
but they're in the AHL right now and they can be great teachers. So you would like to put a team like, of guys like that together, but the reality is everybody wants to try to get someone like that. And so when, it, so when you start looking at the AHL and what this means, that's where it's going to get complicated because it's like, not only is it a truncated season, but like, what are your viewing opportunities going to look like? Are there going to be cases where scouts can be allowed to watch people in person? Do they have to watch remotely? Like, these are all sorts of questions. Like, yes, every team has to answer, but what makes the Kraken different, of course, is they're building this from scratch. And as you two know, what you do now will affect you three, five, seven, ten years down the road. Which brings me to my follow-up, and I'm going to cut Greg off. Why will Leas Anderson be so good when he's on the Kraken? You know, it's interesting because his name keeps coming up as someone that if he gets the opportunity and he gets the sort of direction and time, could this turn into something? And the true answer to that question is no one knows. <laughs> no, like, no, like, no, it's not, it's not meant to be funny. Right. It really, like, it really is a no one knows what's going to happen because the reason he's been moved is because the Kings saw some promise in him. But at the same time, like, it's one of those things where if the Rangers felt confident about that promise, would they have kept him? And that's always going to be the hard part. And so, like, let's go back to what you said. Well, Ryan, like, his, his dad Grace. is the scouting director of the, the L.A. team. Like, that's Yeah, I, I was I, – I almost – it's almost unfair to Leas that he was traded to the Kings because his dad is in the front office. It, like, it, I feel like Ranger fans and maybe even the entire NHL community would have had an easier time breaking down that trade if the guy who was acquiring him didn't birth him. But when you're trying to look at it objectively without taking that into consideration, that's the hard part. It's like you look at what the Kings are building with that farm system, and it's clear they're heading in an upward direction when you look at who they've got. But when it comes to how he fits into the conversation, I mean, who's to say? Like, and maybe this is unfair, but like, this isn't like a prospect. Let's say, like, if you're Montreal with Cole Caulfield. Yes, there's going to be some adjustments that need to be made to get him to where you want to be. But, like, you know what he is at this point, which is a goal scorer and a goal scorer at a point in the game where guys his size have a greater chance of succeeding in getting offensive opportunities than they would have 10 or 15 years ago. Because not saying that you didn't have players who did that 10 or 15 years ago, but you had to be like Martin Saint-Louis. You had to be Brian Giannis. You had to be Paul Correa good. And people say, Imagine if Korea played now. It'd be unfair. Same thing with Son Louis in his prime. If you put him in his prime in today's NHL, who's to say what he would do? And when I think you look at Lewis Anderson, it's an answer that doesn't – it's a question and it's an answer that right now it's just – it's hard to say. I appreciate you well, evaluating it because it yeah, was said and, and mostly just, as a joke. Well, just, just to add on to that, I guess – if you wanted to look at it objectively, the one organization that could see a late second round pick and turn that into Leas Anderson for considering how deep the Kings farm system is, it's a complete roll of the dice. If he works out great, 
fantastic. We have another long-term piece. If it doesn't work out, the odds of that 50, 55th or 60th pick, whatever it was, the, he would have been what? The 12th most important prospect in the Kings system? So what, is it, what does it matter to them long-term? They're, they're loaded up already. They're loaded up already, but is it necessarily the worst thing in the world to have one more piece? Right, right. It, if a different team, say like, uh, I'm trying to think of a team with a historically bad farm system. Say the Florida Panthers traded for Leah Anderson. Be a little bit more pressure on the Panthers to turn that into something because their system is pretty barren. Whereas with the Kings, their top 10 prospect list makes other teams insanely jealous. So what does it matter to the Kings if their 15th best prospect, which is Leas Anderson, for example, just doesn't turn into anything? Whereas if he was in the Panthers, he'd be like four, five, maybe? Uh, not to mix metaphors here, but it's the same reason of why does Clemson add an eight, five star when they've already got seven? Because you can never add too much of one thing. And when it comes back to the idea of Leas Anderson, when you sit there and you think of his numbers, I mean, he's someone that, yes, when you put him against competition in Sweden right now, he's at one eleven points in 18 games. And then when he was on loan last year, 12 points in 15 games, like that's the hard part is you see that, okay, he can do it against competition over there. But when he comes to North America, that's where just, again, it's complicated. So like you look at 18, 19, he had what, like 20 points in 36 games with the Wolfpack. Like, that's the sort of promise that if you're the Kings or another team you're looking at and going, how do we harness? What can we do differently here that wasn't done for him in New York? And the honest answer is, you don't know. And so, not to bring it back to the abs, but there's a really interesting comparable here. Vladislav Kamenev. So, Kamenev was a player that they got in the Matt Deshane trade. And Kamenev was someone, when you look at his AHL numbers, he produced and he wasn't like, I think he was like, I think he was like maybe 0 0.8 points per game. Like it was a, it was a healthy thing. And he was getting all the minutes. He was doing everything he needed him to do. But when he made it to the NHL, like there just wasn't a place for him either because of the depth chart or when players were injured and he could play, he just wasn't consistent enough. And with Leas Anderson, I mean, he's only 22 years old. So maybe there's time to figure it out. But the, the challenge for someone like him, truthfully, is the challenge of everybody in today's NHL, which is if you are not an established something in some part of your game by 20 appeals, there then becomes questions about, well, what do you do with this person when, look, let's face it, if Leas Anderson was 22 years old and played for the Jets, people would go, He's a 22-year-old out of college. Let's give him some time to figure it out. There's a 22-year-old with the Mets. He's a 22-year-old. Let's give him some time to figure it out. Same thing if he was a 22-year-old with the Knicks or the Nets, but with the NHL, the reality is this. When you see guys like McDavid, McKinnon, Quinn Hughes, Austin Matthews, Kale McCarr, the list goes on and on, figure it out by the time they're in their, like they are 20, not in their 20s. But when they are 20 and you have not, you're a first rounder. It starts to make you wonder. So I know that's a lot of time spent on Leas Anderson. I know you two have done that before. But again, I think that's the hard part with talking about certain prospects is you just never know, which goes back to this. 
you're preaching to the choir. When you look at the NHL, oh, let me say something quite. When you look at the NHL, 25% of the league is undrafted players. You just don't know. Or Tammy Panarin, a good example of that. But you're preaching to the choir when it comes to performing because I don't know if you've heard, but Capococco had the worst rookie season of all time, maybe. So it's going to be a, a real a real test for him to perform on his age 20 season, which is crazy, but it's true, uh, just like you said. Well, but, like, again, I think that just goes back to just the nature of how prospects and drafting is viewed in this league. And it's interesting because 10 minutes ago, we were just discussing how the NHL really is a league about the future, but yet it feels like as a first rounder, maybe that leeway is a little bit different. It's like, maybe you get a year, maybe you get two years, but it's like, if you're 21, 22, 23, and you haven't carved a niche, then maybe it just won't work out. When in some cases, like maybe guys need a little bit more time or maybe they're not the player you thought they were. Like when the Avalanche took Tyson Jones, they took him at a time when people thought he was going to be the second line center of the future. It just didn't work out that way. He's been a productive NHL player in the sense of like, he's someone you can play on the penalty kill, but like, do you draft guys who do it, who can do what Joe does with the 10th pick? No, because the year before the ass 10th pick was Nico Rantanen. And that's turned into someone who can score 90 to 95 points a year. And when healthy, could probably hit 100. So again, it's just, it's hard to say because again, like for every first rounder taken in the twenties, there might be someone who is an absolute star. There might be someone who's a good solid NHL player. There might be someone who just, they are none of those things. And, and again, it's the crap shit of the draft. I just, I just want to point this out and then we can never talk about Leah Anderson again, because that'd be fine. Uh, but like I did when we were talking Goche and Lieber Hayek, I find it very interesting that Leah Anderson is actually only six weeks older than current Ranger prospect wonder kid Morgan Barron that everyone has a hard on for. Just, that shit cracks me up. That really, that, that honestly is amazing to me. Morgan Barron's this kid that everyone's like, ah, he's the, he's a future. He's going to be great in the Rangers. You should play immediately for him. It's like, <laughs> you want to give Leah Anderson the time. He's six weeks older. Oh, I love it. NHL. No other league like it. It's the, the best. best. But again, it just it goes back to just how you see players and what they do in that time. And if you look at what Leas Anderson did with the Wolfpack, yeah, there's reason to think at that time that okay, maybe there's something there. But again, you just looking at it objectively, the reality is you just don't know. Ryan, I think we've taken up enough of your time. Seriously, cannot thank you enough for coming on and talking all the crack and stuff you did. Um, my final question is, did you ever hear... Oh, I thought we were going to have more time. Guys, I got all the time in the world. If you want to make this longer, that's fine. I... Oh, okay. Um, then my... <laughs> what, what... Twist, twist my arm. We'll talk Mets. I don't care. Because uh, that's what we're going to do anyway. But, Ryan, uh, <laughs> have you heard anything that would that came out of the Kraken organization that was the runner-up name to Kraken? Kraken was the obvious choice, but was there anything in the running that was ridiculous? They're not giving that up. Okay. They are definitely not giving that up because like the day of the name announcement, like they, they got into just kind of like what was the decision behind Kraken. And then when you ask me, okay, so what were some of the runner ups? They're just like, we're not giving that up. And so granted that's been several months now, which I mean, to think about June in 2020 feels like June in 1985 at this point. Mm -hmm. um, I want to say that they said that they put all that stuff in a time capsule I think that's what I remember them saying, and they'll like dig it back up when the time comes, and 
they'll get into like what the other like options were. I believe that's the case, but yeah, for now they they're definitely not saying. That's so Seattle. All right, we were going to talk about the Mets. Do you want to stay? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we can stay for a couple of Mets questions or hockey questions Uh-oh. or whatever is easy. This makes no difference to me. Greg, after you. Uh, I don't now I feel like I have to perform. I was just going to be able to ramble about the Mets earlier, but now I got Ryan here. He's going to critique everything I have to say. Uh, it, it's just what I, Ryan, before you joined the podcast, I, I, all I said was I find it very interesting that the New York Mets had this difficult time of trying to find someone to be their team president. And then they hired a GM who has worked extensively and has won four World Series rings in front offices run by Theo Epstein. Just find that very interesting. It is definitely interesting, but at the same time, like when you look at where success comes from, there's always going to be certain factors and you're going to see certain names. And I mean, like, again, not to mix sports here, but it goes back to the NFL. When you look at Belichick assistants, for the while they were all the rage because it was just this idea that well, if you were a part of the machine in New England, it's going to work. And as you've seen, it doesn't always work out that way. I mean, Charlie Weiss didn't work out. Romeo Cornell didn't work out. Uh, Eric Mangini didn't work out. Like, again, just the list goes on and on. But, like, with something like this, like, it's really hard to say because, again, you just don't know. But when you look at what the Mets are doing, it's like – you, you look at what you're doing, and I think if you're a Met fan, there's reason for optimism just because you see what's happening and you're like, okay, let's at least give it a chance. Because, again, like when you look at that team and you look uh, – Steve Cohen kidnapped me. <laughs> I, I just there's – reason, there's reason for optimism because we're not poor anymore. I hope Ryan can hear me when I say that. Like, oh, my God. The story today yeah, about the, the problem is people keep people keep calling me today. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry about that. Guys. You're, okay. you're a popular dude. It's, like it's it. Yeah, I don't want to be. <laughs> well, it's just you see a story today about Ken Rosenthal, our coworker, our good friend, reports that the Yankees and DJ LeMayhew are twenty five million dollars apart in contract negotiations, and then another friend of the show, John Boy, puts up the poll asking. If you'd rather spend $100 million on DJ LeMayhew today or save some of that money for free agent shortstops next year and get depth this year. And I'm just sitting here like, as a Met fan, I've had to trick myself into the, well, they're not going to spend this year because they'll spend next year narrative. I don't know. How old am I? 31? 31 years I've had that conversation with myself. And now it's like, the Mets aren't the poor kid anymore. Life's good, baby. Everything's great. I don't have a worry in the world. The Mets could lose every game next year, and I'd be like, you know what? It's fine. This is If this is the price I pay to get the Wilpons out of my life, I'll take it. Well, the thing I'll say, and then I will run just because I feel bad that I'm like, yeah, you guys got all my time, and then everyone keeps calling, is this. Like, <laughs> money really does change everything. And – Again, let's look at the Dodgers. Like, they're an example of how money changes everything, but it may not fix everything right away. So you think about the day they changed ownership, that group comes in, they've got all this money, Magic Johnson says, we're here to win. They spend and they spend and they spend and they spend. 
And those were good teams. They were great teams. But at the same time, they weren't winning the World Series. And at some point, frustration sets in. And then, of course, you look at what they did now. And, like, yeah, there were some things that they did in free agency. But you look at, like, a good chunk of what they've done. A lot of those players were based and built within the farm system. And so, like, if you're the Mets and you've got money, like, it's, okay, cool to have money. It means you can do things. But it's, it's like anything. What do you spend that money on? I mean, yes, you're going to go into free agency. But at the same time, like, you're going to look into your farm system because, like, at the same time, like, while it's good to be able to spend money, you can't spend it all the time to fix your problems. I mean, the Yankees saw that firsthand when, you know, look, we, we talk about those championship years with the core four. I mean, yeah, those were all system guys. You get away from that, it's a problem. You look at the Dodgers, like, yes, they spend money, but guys like Kershaw, Walker Bueller, um, Bellinger, Seeger, Bellinger, Jock Peterson, Ike Hernandez, uh, Julio Urias, uh, those Kenley Jansen, those are all system players. And like, that's eight guys right there. That's a pretty sizable and significant chunk. Whereas if you're the Mets, I mean, you tried to fix this by free agency. And like, again, not saying that that can't work, but like, let's think back to that 2000 team. Like you look at guys that they were able to bring up through the system, like the Jay Payton, the Vinyan Bayani, um, you look at Ray Ordonez. I mean, there's something to be said for that. Like, yes, you can pitch in with guys like Piazza and John Olerud and Todd Seal, but at the same time, you still need to be able to bring in young talent that you can develop. So with the Mets, it's just a matter of how you use that money. Yeah, I just the, – the things I would have done, and then we'll, we'll, I'm just going to say this, and then we'll let you go. I just wanted to be in the room when Sandy Alderson fired Brody Van Wagenen because Sandy, from what we've seen from him and heard from him, is he has – he has a surprising personality and a sense of humor, but I promise you, he just looked Brody dead in the eyes and said, you fucking piece of shit traded Jared <laughs> Kalenic. Get the fuck out of my office. <laughs> like, that was my last draft pick. I was really proud of that one. You're a giant piece of shit. Now Robinson Cano is tested positive. Get the fuck out of here. We did a great job like, not did... cursing through this whole interview. Congratulations. <laughs> I'm yeah, sorry. You're, you, but here's the thing, though. Like, you're such an angry guy, and I get it, but it's like, is that really the thing to be angry about? Because, like, if you were going to be angry about something, you would be angry looking at that rest of the division and going, okay, so the Nationals had a really bad year. But at the same time, like, there's still some talent on that ball club. And if they could get things fixed with their bullpen, which that feels like the last thing we've been saying for the thing we've been saying for the last 10 years about that team, maybe they do something. You look at the Braves. The Braves do not look like they're going away. And the Marlins not only were a playoff team, but, like, the Marlins are giving people the appearance that, like, they could be building into something. And so, like, if you're the Mets, maybe that's the conversation to be having, which is, like, it's and, and this new ownership group is, like, it's not so much that you're buying this team. You're buying this team at a time where right now the NL East looks like it is going to be something. Because even when you look at the Phillies, like, we don't know what the hell they're going to be but they have enough there to be something. And again, just when you look at the NL East, it has everything needed to be the best division in baseball. Unlike the NFC East, which, well, somebody has to win. I think, I think it's going to be Washington too. I, I, it's too bad to not have like a consistent quarterback because I, that Chase Young might be my favorite player in the NFL. That guy's amazing. 
but, but the thing is, and I'll run, is like, you say like it might be Washington. Three weeks ago, people were thinking, maybe it's the Eagles. Like two weeks ago, people were going, you know, the Giants just might win it. Nobody knows. New culture. <laughs> yeah. No, just, just nobody knows. But again, just jumping back to the Mets, I don't want you guys to run. Like, that's the thing. It's like, it's not so much that they're trying to make that team a winner. They've got the money to do it. They're trying to do it in a, in a league where right now, excuse me, in a division right now, where it's like, you look, and the Braves have proven why it makes sense to invest in a farm system. So it feels like every month they're bringing up a prospect, and it's like, oh, well, this guy is good too. You look at the Marlins, and that's the scary part. Is like, that's a team that has always been able to produce talent. It's kind of like the old Expos with the running joke of, imagine if they had ownership in a front office that was committed to making them better as opposed to having a fire cell, which it looks like that's the case. I mean, with the Phillies, it's it seems like free agency is kind of more their thing in the sense of how they build, not that they can't bring up prospects, but that's what it, it seems like. And with the Nats, like, clearly they can draft and they can develop. But it's just about, like, how do you adjust certain things, like the bullpen to where it's stronger? Maybe how do you make seven through nine in the order a little bit stronger as well? But, yeah, just when you look at the Mets, it's a hell of a time to be in the NLs. Yeah, it's the things that make me the angriest is the fact that Kalenic isn't a Met. And then I just I just want to get in a room and talk with Ronald Acuna and Ozzy Albies and find out why the fuck they settled for no money. That, that's all I want to know. <laughs> These guys could have signed massive contracts. And they're like, we'll take $2 million and we'll let you do whatever the hell you want to do. I just want to know. I want to have a talk. That's all I'm saying. Ryan, thanks so much. Why don't you plug what you do? Uh, you, you can follow Ryan at Ryan underscore S underscore Clark on Twitter. You can obviously follow him at The Athletic. Anything else I missed there, Ryan? No, that pretty much covers all the bases. Awesome. Yeah, well, we're going to end the podcast now, too. You can follow me at O'Ryan Mead. I'm another Ryan, along with Ryan Clark. And you can follow Greg at Blue Shirts Break, where he's very angry about the Mets. And we'll be back next week, and we love you guys. Bye. <laughs> this is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.